Welcome to the Missing Midwest Podcast. My name is Liz, and I'm your host. I was born, raised, and still live in the Midwest. My goal for this podcast is to highlight some of the stories of individuals that have gone missing. Some of the victims you may have heard of, while others may be new to your ears. As a heads up, the people that are discussed in this podcast are considered innocent until proven guilty. All the sources in this episode can be found on my website, missingmidwest.com. Today's case takes place in a familiar place where our last victim had gone missing from, Dubuque, Iowa. We look into the unusual circumstances surrounding the murder of a 14-year-old boy who had gone missing 33 years ago from a residential treatment facility before being found at a small park by a local fisherman. This is the murder of Kenny Joe Johnson. Kenny Joe Johnson had been living in Dubuque for only about one month before he was found dead at Moss Park. So to understand a bit more about Kenny's life before his tragic death, we need to go back to the beginning. Kenny was born on December 28, 1972, in Moline, Illinois. For those not familiar with the area, Moline is a town along the Mississippi River, about 75 miles south of Dubuque, just across the Iowa state border into Illinois. Kenny had lived with his mother, Sharon, and stepfather, Bob, in Davenport, which is part of the greater metro area called the Quad Cities. Davenport was just a few minutes drive across the river from Moline, Illinois. His biological father, Dallas, and mother had been divorced since Kenny was little. Kenny attended Eastern Avenue School in Davenport from October 1986 to April 1987. Eastern Avenue School was described in a local newspaper as a school for behaviorally disturbed children. Wait a minute. Who would really describe a learning environment for children with diagnosed disabilities as behaviorally disturbed. Wow. Things really have come a long way since the 1980s when this was published and using that type of descriptive language just goes to show how children with any sort of behavioral or mental disability were treated not so long ago. The principal there described Kenny as a sad and very needy kid, while another teacher described him as extremely hyper. In the first grade, after a teacher grew impatient with Kenny, he was ordered to sit in the front row and wear a dunce cap. Again, the adults that worked in this environment were using this type of language and behavior to describe a child that was needing so much love and support and a whole lot less of their judgment. This type of verbal behavior and emotional discipline can have a lasting impact on a child's life. Now, it isn't heard of nearly as much nowadays, but I can't help but think that by categorizing Kenny in these types of ways led to the circumstances of his disappearance and eventual murder. Don't get me wrong, Kenny did seem to be suffering from a lot of behavioral issues and would often be set off easily, resulting in what we, as adults, can view as irrational behavior. He also had a learning disability, which at times was very clearly not handled appropriately. Kenny would then act out sometimes. 
He might throw books at his teachers or run off down the halls screaming or possibly just leave the school altogether. If he did leave the school, he would either try to catch rides or walk home on the other side of town. He was 14. He did not seem to have many close relationships outside of his family with just a few friends in his life. In the summer of 1987, Kenny moved from the city of Davenport out to a horse farm in New Liberty, Iowa, with his mother Sharon and stepfather Bob. This town was about 27 miles northwest of Davenport. At 14, this can probably feel like a pretty heavy pill to swallow, since he would have no way of seeing any of the friends he had made while living in Davenport. However, Kenny actually loved the rural life in New Liberty and was able to run free and interact with the horses on the farm, which his sister Crystal said he loved. For what was probably the first time in Kenny's life, he felt like he had a real purpose. Feeding, grooming, and exercising the horses was something he really enjoyed, and he seemed to actually be doing a lot better behaviorally living on the farm. While Kenny seemed to be handling the move to New Liberty fairly well, his family life appeared to be a little bit more complicated. His biological parents were divorced years earlier, and in early 1987, his stepfather and mother also divorced. While I couldn't find much information on his biological father, it appears he was not very involved in Kenny's life, even though he lived in the area. Like any child, this would have a massive impact in his life. It doesn't appear Kenny had any real positive male role models in his life, and with both his father figures leaving him at such a young part of his life, I'm sure this felt much like abandonment to him. His teachers did say he was actually starting to improve, but the changes in his home environment seemed to make things take a turn for the worse. Kenny wasn't all bad, though. He was an energetic 14-year-old who, when offered the opportunities to channel his energy into meaningful ways, he would do great. One teacher said he played baseball and said when his skills improved, he was great having around. An 11-year-old from New Liberty knew Kenny for only a short period of time, but said he was really nice to everybody, and we always thought he was a good friend. Kenny had all the potential in the world to be a wonderful young man, and I believe if the opportunities and understanding we have nowadays were around back then, Kenny would still be alive today. In September of 1987, a court ordered Kenny to leave his home and mother to attend Hillcrest Family Services in Dubuque due to his behavioral problems. After both his fathers had left, now he was being taken away from his mother. At any age, let alone 14, this would probably feel pretty catastrophic. Kenny arrived at Hillcrest on September 22nd, and started attending Central Alternative School two weeks later on October 5th as part of the program at Hillcrest. This alternative school was offered to those who may have difficulties learning in the traditional classroom environment. Kenny was only attending the school for a few days when he got into an altercation with a teacher on the morning of October 8th, 1987. The teacher sent him to the principal's office sometime around 9.30 a.m. 
However, Kenny decided to leave the school instead. Unfortunately, as we know from his prior incidents, ditching school is not unlike Kenny, and this is actually the third time he had run away while being in Dubuque for less than three weeks. What I want to know is how are kids just able to walk away without anyone noticing? This school was for children who didn't function well in typical environments. Why are these kids not escorted to the principal's office? Was there any sort of security on property to prevent intruders from entering the campus and students from running off? As they say, hindsight is 2020, but it just seems there could have been more done to ensure the safety of the kids who attended this school. The night Kenny left school, the temperatures dropped down to a very cold 33 degrees Fahrenheit. When Kenny left the school, he was wearing a purple and gray sweatshirt underneath a black and gray ski jacket. Even though he did have a few layers of clothes on, the temperatures would have been very uncomfortable to sleep in. And it's not clear what Kenny had done after he left school that morning or the next day. And that would be the last time he would be seen alive by anyone he knew. Two days after Kenny left school, on October 10th, 1987, his fragile, lifeless body would be found by a fisherman only a one-mile walk away from the school at Moss Park in downtown Dubuque. Even though this park is only a mile from the school, it is very isolated. In fact, I have lived in Dubuque my entire life and never even heard of this park until researching this case. Also, I use the word park loosely. It is basically just a desolate, sandy, and grassy area along a little outlet of water next to the river. This park is also located directly underneath a major highway for the area. The highway connects the tri-state area of Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa, so it is unclear if someone traveling through could have been in that area the night Kenny met his demise. The fishermen found Kenny's body just before 9 a.m., wrapped in a 5 by 9 foot piece of yellow-orange nylon carpet. Initially, the carpet was a key piece of evidence. Investigators thought maybe Kenny had been killed elsewhere and then transported via this carpet to Moss Park and dumped. They searched carpet stores in the area and were able to learn the age of the carpet, but were unsure where it was purchased. They inspected the wear patterns and cuts and determined that it must have come from a home. Ten years after Kenny's death, a local Dubuque stepped forward to clear up any mystery around the carpet. The owner said he had dumped the carpet at the park and apparently he was not the only one to dump items there, as the place seems to have been a popular and illegal dumping site for lots of things. Now, this person that stepped forward is not named, but I'm confident that they would have been investigated as a possible suspect in the murder of Kenny. Ultimately, we know that Kenny's body was left in the park and the carpet was already there and used in an attempt to cover the body. Investigators had talked to bus and taxi drivers and even other local runaways to see if they had seen Kenny during the time he was missing with no luck. Residents near the school and staff were also interviewed, but it seems as if he had vanished without anyone seeing him. 
Investigators also used metal detectors to see if any additional evidence could be located near where the missing teen's body was. It is possible that Kenny had befriended someone. He had been out on the streets for more than a day and was probably cold and hungry. This put Kenny in an extremely vulnerable position. His sister described him as a Huck Finn type of kid. So we know he would have been as resourceful as possible and attempt to live on the streets on his own. However, Kenny was still only 14 years old and may have been more trusting of someone than he would have been under normal circumstances. According to the Telegraph Herald newspaper, Kenny's body was sent to the state medical examiner's office to determine his cause of death. After the autopsy, it was determined that Kenny had a small amount of alcohol in his system at a level of 0.018. This is relatively low since the legal intoxication level is 0.08. This report indicates that he has been a victim of sexual assault, and because of this, DNA was able to be collected from the possible killer. Kenny had been brutally beaten during what was the fight for his life. He had cuts on his lips, bruises on his neck, and his ski jacket was only partially taken off with only his right arm still in the jacket. It was determined that he had died by manual strangulation, which means by the use of the killer's hands or other parts of their body. It takes several minutes to kill someone by manual strangulation. Whoever did this to Kenny did not kill him by accident. In an effort to cover the sexual abuse, the perpetrator had pulled Kenny's pants back up and buckled them, but left his underpants around his mid-thighs. The report indicates there was no blood on his face or clothing, though, and they believe Kenny was killed sometime between 10 p.m. and midnight on October 9th. Authorities are not ruling anything out. However, they believe the killer may have been local to the area, given the fact that Moss Park is pretty secluded and not well known. After reviewing the information we have, it seems that the attack and murder of Kenny may not have been planned. The fact that Kenny was strangled by the hands of his killer instead of some other object and then haphazardly covered with the carpet found at the park, it shows that it was likely an incident that quickly spun out of control. Since the body was covered with the rug, did the killer feel some sort of remorse, or was he just trying to cover up his crime? Given that this occurred at a little-known park, was he killed by a local man, or did someone happen across the area coming over the highway from Wisconsin or Illinois? Kenny was a caring, free-spirited young boy that needed some guidance and found it in the wrong place. In a social media post on October 10th, 2020, by a childhood friend of Kenny's named Mikey, he indicated that even though Kenny's case is cold, it is still being looked at with fresh eyes, and things are being done with the DNA evidence as we speak. The DNA was put into CODIS years ago with no hits. Is it possible that the police are using the DNA testing from his assault? to track down any familial DNA? If that is the case, 
we may be closer than ever to finding out who is responsible for the death of Kenny. Kenny has been dead for over three decades, and despite investigators still devoting time to Kenny's case, it is still unclear where Kenny went between the hours of him leaving school and finding him at Moss Park. Kenny was a tough young boy who clearly fought for his life, and we will continue to fight to bring those involved in his murder to justice. This investigation remains open, and anyone with information regarding the death of Kenny Joe Johnson is asked to contact the Dubuque Police Department or Crime Stoppers at 563-588-0714. Thank you guys for listening to the Missing Midwest podcast. You can view all of our source material on missingmidwest.com. Pictures from today's case can be found on our social media pages by searching Missing Midwest. And until next time, stay safe out there.